there is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using, you know, sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time like the 2020s to build a company. Yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live, you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are, and you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of Forward Thinking Investors, I want to dive into this world. I want to help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists, and how do they think about their day-to-day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build billion-dollar companies just like you know Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and I, and I hope you enjoy. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to to another episode of Forward Thinking Investors, where we talk to investors about companies that they like, markets they like, and how they broke into venture. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Delian Asparohov, who is the principal of Founders Fund. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks, Matt. Excited to be here. Excited to chat today. Yeah, excited to have you on. I have definitely, you know, seen you from afar many times on Twitter. I, I love your presence, but I'm stoked to have you right here in this virtual conversation uh, for forward thinking investors. I think to start, I would love to hear, you know, venture is this kind of opaque thing. It's not super understood. So the first thing is how did you find yourself um, breaking into venture and how did you kind of get to the path where you're at now? Um, so I had been friends with this guy, Keith Raboy, uh, for a while. We originally got to know each other because I was a, uh, Android engineering intern at Square when he was the COO there. Um, and then as I was basically considering starting my company, uh, I reached out to him as a potential sort of mentor, uh, through the Teal Fellowship. Uh, and so I started off more as like a mentor for my company, ended up like angel investing, but, uh, we got to know each other sort of more as friends, uh, through actually his soccer team, interestingly enough, uh, basically complained at one of our, you know, regular lunch meetings that I wasn't uh, getting to playing competitive enough soccer games on the weekends. He was like, well, I actually run the most competitive soccer team in San Francisco. Would you like to come play with us? And so, uh, that was actually how we sort of got to know each other. Uh, and then the way that I sort of got into venture from that was, uh, you know, about four years ago, we actually had dinner and we were discussing one of my friends who had, uh, you know, dropped out. Uh, of Harvard around the same time that I dropped out of MIT uh, and we had actually been roommates for a while. He decided to actually go, you know, back to Harvard and Keith had gotten to know him sort of like, you know, through me. Uh, he decided to go back to Harvard, had graduated and was sort of considering what to do. And Keith at the same time was considering basically hiring his first chief of staff at Postal Ventures. And so during the dinner, we, uh, you know, I mentioned that my friend was coming back, asked Keith if he had any recommendations for roles for my friend. Uh, and Keith was like, actually, you know, he would actually be a great fit potentially for my chief of staff. And I was like, okay, great. Let's talk through like, you know, how would I pitch this to him? What would the role of your chief of staff be? I'm sure he'd be interested. So we ended up like talking about it for like 30 or 40 minutes. And then I, you know, called my friend, you know, basically finished dinner with Keith, literally hopped in my car right outside Keith's house and just like sat in the car um, and basically called my friend and, you know, pitched him on the role for like 30 or 40 minutes. And about 30 or 40 minutes in, I kind of realized I was like, oh shit, like I want this role. Like, you know, I was in the midst of kind of deciding what I wanted to do next uh, as well. Uh, so I literally like, you know, knocked on Keith's door, like, you know, 40 minutes later. And he's like, what the hell are you still doing here? Like, I thought you went home. Uh, and I was like, you know, remember that like chief staff role, like, what do you think about me doing it rather than like my Harvard friend doing it? 
Uh, he was like, great. Like, you know, I'm in, I'd love to have you. Um, and so, you know, his request was just like, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you wanted to or planned on, you know, doing venture or anything, uh, in you know, the early stages of your career. And so his request was like, you know, please just do it for a year, at least at minimum, you know, don't leave before that, um, since it'll take me some time to onboard you and sort of train you and how to help me out. And so, yeah, the original plan was, I just wanted to basically learn from Keith and actually use that as sort of like a launch pad to, uh, you know, co-found, uh, my next company. Um, and then about sort of six, nine months in through a handful of sort of like small signals and interactions, realized that like maybe the world of venture was uh, better suited for me than, you know, going back and co-founding a company. Um, you know, one aspect of it was realizing that my sort of personality and skill sets and the way that I work are just like a much better fit for the world of venture than the world of being a founder. I'm just, I'm super intellectually curious. I'm super ADD. I like jumping around between a ton of different things. Like I'm energized by context switching. Um, all of those things are like, you know, strong pros as a founder, as a VC versus like their huge cons as a founder. Um, and so that combined with the fact that I basically was able to relatively quickly and, you know, honestly, somewhat anomalously and very lucky in some ways, able to actually like source companies into Coastal Ventures. That's where Keith was at the time. And that's where I was his uh, chief of staff. And was basically able to like source a handful of companies in like my first sort of like nine to 12 months there. Um, and so I was like, whoa, like maybe I should be, you know, good at this. Honestly, if you asked me at month 12, I was like, great, I'm going to be sourcing a company every three months that we invest in. Uh, lo and behold, I did a company at month six, I did a company at month nine. And the next one wasn't until like month, like 26. Um, so there's a 15 month, you know, sort of dark period there where I really wasn't able to find anything that uh, I was super excited about. Um, but I was like, maybe I'm actually, you know, better at this than I expected. Um, and then probably the third and most important point was, you know, the long-term goal that I'd always had was to get involved in the commercial space industry. Um, but the path that I thought that was possible was like, you kind of had to do it the same way that everybody from like Elon to Chamath to, you know, Jurvetson to, you know, sort of everybody that's been, you know, sort of big in Silicon Valley that has done space stuff. It's like, you get successful in like normal Silicon Valley stuff. And then you like use your capital to like do space stuff. And so I was like, okay, I have to like do normal Silicon Valley stuff for like a decade or two, get successful. And then like, then I can do space versus uh, one of the companies that I sourced early on was actually a commercial space company. And so I ended up finding this like, you know, magical short circuit where I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And like my like early, young, energetic, ambitious years, I'm getting to actually influence space today, not like, you know, two decades down the line. And so I was like, man, I should really lean into this. Like, you know, I get, I'm getting immediate gratification and maybe I can actually have even more impact on space. Cause like, you know, this is a particularly interesting time to be, you know, investing and working in the commercial space industry. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that kind of ended up, you know, that early, you know, bet and decision to, you know, year one basically told Keith, like, Hey, I actually want to do this. And the way that I want to do it is not just be your chief of staff, but I'd like to actually like eventually like become an investment team member at Coastal Ventures. Like, what do I need to do to do so? Um, and sort of steadily, you know, made the transition and was very, you know, grateful to the folks at Coastal Ventures, um, including, you know, beyond just Keith that were both willing to let me do so and like mentor me through that. Um, and then, you know, now four years down the line, uh, you know, has played out to, you know, the extreme upper end of my, you know, let's say expectations, both in terms of the things that I've gotten to do as a VC, but then, uh, you know, in particular, you know, the thing that I care about the most, which is the ability to have impact on the commercial space industry uh, in that, you know, uh, I've been able to lead several rounds of companies, but then most importantly, had this idea that I was, you know, had been thinking about for almost, you know, the past now decade, uh, which is sort of the, you know, industrialization and commercialization of low earth orbit beyond just communication and uh, imaging satellites. But the thing that I think is actually much larger, which is uh, low earth orbit manufacturing, and so over the past, you know, six months here at now Founders Fund, the new venture firm that I'm at, uh, you know, have been able to basically put together um, an incubation uh, that called Varda um, that, you know, I'll be sort of speaking more and more about over the coming years. 
um, that is getting to you know tackle that problem because I sort of recognized that sort of nobody in the market was really going after this problem. And so, yeah, it was definitely somewhat fortuitous. I wasn't really you know planning on it. It was you know I can entirely claim that it was just the reason I even had the opportunity was because I'd gotten to get friendly over soccer with Keith. Um, but you know, I'm very grateful uh, for how the sort of past four years have gone, his mentorship and the mentorship of a variety of people in the venture capital community. So I feel like when a lot of people want to break into to tech or, or startups, um, they like want to build a, a social networking app for college, or they're interested in, you know, uh, building like the next Spotify music social app or something like that. Um, but your interest is space, um, which is, you know, different. And you're actually the first, you, you're the first person that I've ever seen on Twitter actively talk about like your, your love for space, which actually inspired me to watch some videos. And now I kind of like see what's going on there too. But my question for you is how, like why space and when space, when did you realize that space was an industry that you cared a lot about? Um, and how did that kind of love for it change over time as you spent time as an investor and now as like a founder and investor? Yeah, I mean, the love for space stuff was just, you know, um, I can't even remember as like a kid. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in like a heavily Eastern European, deeply technical, mathematical, scientific family. And so, you know, the the love for space was a sort of like engineering love for space about like the complexity of the problems that you have to go after, the extreme environment. Um, and then, you know, the belief that sort of the the net benefit of focusing on space is extreme for humanity, right? Everything from like the world of, you know, solar panels to, you know, kind of even had a Twitter thread today where it's just like, if you want to solve climate change, you're actually better off focusing on space and that focusing on space will actually help you solve climate change much faster than actually like trying to focus on climate change. Um, and so I'd always, always been sort of fascinated by it. And then maybe in like, you know, college started sort of you know, monitoring it, not just, you know, like when I was more of a kid, it was more just like reading sci-fi books and like, you know, watching press releases. And then, you know, people sort of asked me like, what was the path? And it was honestly like, you know, in sort of, you know, late college and then sort of after dropping out, it was honestly just like, I just read r slash space, r slash SpaceX, r slash rocket lab. Like every day I would just like watch all the launches. And again, that was like slightly more than just reading sci-fi and like reading press releases, but like, it wasn't like that deep of a, you know, connection. It was honestly just like these like subreddits. And then it was basically like a, you know, in that first year in venture, super accidentally stumbling across a super interesting commercial space company, this company called Akash Systems. And it was like extremely fortuitous, you know, the way that I stumbled across them. I literally accidentally emailed like the wrong VC. I was trying to get in touch with one and I accidentally emailed another one that had the exact same name. Uh, basically there's two Sri Ram Krishnans in the world of venture. Um, and so I accidentally emailed the wrong one. And then, you know, sort of as an apology, I was like, can I take you out to coffee for accidentally emailing you as opposed to the one that I meant to email. Uh, and then during that coffee, I kind of explained like, Hey, I'm new to venture. One of the things that I would like to explore over my, you know, uh, you know, period that I'm doing this kind of experimental period of venture is like whether or not there's a you know world where I could invest in space companies and get to know that industry better. And he was like, well, I actually have a friend starting a space company that you might be interested in. Like I talked to him and I was like, well, like, I don't know a lot about the space industry yet, but like this actually does seem intriguing. And I sort of brought that to, you know, Vinod and Sven at Coastal Ventures. And both of them were like, yes, and this is like actually very intriguing. Um, we should invest in this. And so I got to basically like, champion that, you know, process and, you know, negotiate a term sheet. And it's a very terrifying thing to do is like, a, you know, at the time I was whatever, 22 or 23 and, uh, you know, negotiating a term sheet, uh, you know, that was, you know, millions of dollars when you had like, you know, 15K in your bank account, um, you know, is not, you know, particularly sort of terrifying process. Um, but then basically after that, I was like, oh shit, like, you know, I can actually take this stuff seriously. And I was like, okay, well, like, how would I become more of an expert on this? I was like, I barely know anything about it. 
Um, and so let me just start talking to everybody. So I was like, okay, I'm going to like look at every single company that has raised venture money in the commercial space industry. Basically started to get to know all these CEOs. Um, I went and looked up all the big sort of space conferences. I asked this particular CEO, his recommendation, you know, for space conferences that I should be going to. Um, and then, you know, basically over the course of like the last, you know, now, you know, three and a half, four years, you know, can pretty confidently say that, you know, I have met every CEO that has raised north of, let's say, $5 million in VC money that works in the space industry. I, you know, know every single incubator, accelerator, and, you know, most of the seed stage companies now by default, you know, sort of make their way to me, um, both because of the amount of sort of groundwork and legwork that I put into, you know, getting to know all these like CEOs and other VCs that focus on this. Uh, but then also I think now Varda has been, you know, somewhat a magnet for it where they see, hey, this VC is also putting his money where his mouth is at in the commercial space industry and really, you know, doubling down. And so that was also part of the thesis behind, you know, incubating a space company was this would actually, you know, although obviously it's a huge time sink uh, would actually accelerate the, you know, VC side of the career uh, because more people would be interested in coming to me with their space companies. And I'd be able to like win those deals more often. Um, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. It, it's honestly, I think for me and probably for a lot of the listeners, it's kind of like, it feels like a whole different world. Um, but that's what shows you how vast, you know, venture and startups are. This It's, it's a big world um, outside of social apps and, and things like that. Um, so, I want to dive a little bit into where you're at now, which which is Founders Fund. For people that haven't heard of it, maybe outside of maybe Twitter, um, can you kind of just give an overview of like what is Founders Fund? What kind of types of uh, what what markets do you cover? What size companies? Just an overview. If someone's never heard of it before, then we can got, dive a little deeper into it. Yeah, I mean, to touch on your earlier point, you know, about how diverse VC can be, it's like I think. Even as somebody who I thought before joining, you know, Keith at Coastal Ventures, I was like, I'm pretty sophisticated in this. I follow all these people on Twitter. Like, you know, I'm friends with, like, I'm, I'm, friend, I'm like friends with Keith. He tells me about VC all the time. Like, I've also been a founder that is like fundraised from VCs. I was like, I must understand this ecosystem very well. And then you're like on the other side. And I was like, I had no fucking clue. You know what I mean? Like, you just have no appreciation for like, there's just like such a like, you know, in some ways, like the way that I like to describe it is like companies have a set of constraints. Like if you look at the like culture of like a Slack versus the culture of like a SpaceX, like sure, they are like working on like, you know, fundamentally completely different products. SpaceX is much more like technical, bigger swings. Um, but like at the end of the day, if you look at the day to day, it's actually not that dissimilar. The engineers are doing engineering problems. There's HR people. There's like the CEO leading it. That's doing like, you know, press releases and fundraises. Like they're actually like most companies are not that that dissimilar. Like the bell curve is actually pretty tight. Versus if you look at venture firms, that bell curve is like super, super far and like spread out, right? Like, you know, somebody that does, you know, seed stage more like, you know, uh, spray and pray tons of like, you know, tons and tons of deals per year, much smaller check sizes, a job like that versus like, you know, companies that focuses on series A consumer social deals at a firm that only does like, you know, three or four deals a year to like Mike Spicer at Sutter Hill that does one company a year, but like incubates it himself and like, you know, invest north of $100 million into that company by default versus somebody like, you know, myself that focuses on the commercial space industry. Like those jobs are like, have no overlap. Like there's just zero, like the, the way that we spend our time, the way that we like, we, you know, the types of investments that we do, the way that we like run companies through our process. Like there's just like, there's literally zero overlap. Um, so to talk about Founders Fund, um, so we're a, uh, you know, a venture firm that's been around for, you know, quite a while, um, founded in the sort of mid 2000s. Uh, you know, our latest fund that we raised is a, you know, $3 billion uh, venture fund. It's sort of split half between sort of venture and growth. Um, and so what that means is we end up sort of being comfortable 
uh, leading rounds all the way from, you know, seed all the way through sort of like, you know, series, you know, F or pre IPO rounds. Um, obviously one person can't, you know, be sophisticated across all of those stages uh, and across all those sectors. And so people tend to have particular focuses uh, across the team. I'd say in comparison to most venture firms, the things that make us particularly we're so multi-stage, we're not necessarily as strict about sort of like ownership criteria at particular stages through a company. So for example, you know, one of the classic ways that we're able to, let's say like win a deal vis-a-vis -vis somebody who does have strict ownership criteria is that a series A, if the company isn't that capital intensive or doesn't need that much capital, I can offer the company like a offer that's, you know, $6 million at 60 post versus a traditional venture investor that really wants their 20% ownership or something like that at 25 uh, needs to offer, you know, uh, 15 million at 60 post when that might not necessarily be in the best interest of the company. Uh, so we tend to be very, you know, ownership flexible, which I really like. We also tend to be much more comfortable with sort of big technical moonshots. So, you know, we're one of the largest investors uh, in, uh, you know, SpaceX, uh, as an example, um, amongst, you know, sort of many other deeply, deeply technical companies. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I really like is we're very sort of like, you know, decentralized. So for example, most venture firms at our scale have a very traditional sort of like Monday partner meeting, whereas a company you get invited to present to the partner meeting uh, and then you basically get that decision that same day. Uh, we don't have any sort of either, you know, hierarchy at FF, which I really like, or any sort of regular weekly cadence or structure. Uh, and so what that means is your process is somewhat defined by the point person that you're sort of working with in terms of, you know, sort of how they'll guide you from, you know, initial meeting, uh, you know, through, through to a term sheet. But because we don't have such a rigid process, we can also be, you know, much faster sometimes. So, you know, for example, at Coastal Ventures, there were times where I'd meet a really great company on a Tuesday and there was just no next step that I could do until basically the following Monday versus here, I can meet you on a Tuesday uh, and sometimes, you know, by, you know, Thursday or Friday, basically get you a term sheet. Um, so yeah, super large, you know, fund that is able to invest across a multitude of stages, super sort of ownership agnostic, stage agnostic, sector agnostic, but, you know, much more comfortable with sort of, you know, deep tech, you know, swings like the SpaceX's, like the, you know, Vardas of the world where we're doing in-space manufacturing, uh, much more so than other, other venture firms. Um, and then, yeah, maybe the, the fourth thing that I'd add is a unique aspect of our investment process is uh, the primary filter that we use when considering an investment is basically why won't other VCs like this? Like uh, we, if anything, are, you know, hyper-indexed against sort of like, you know, super hot, you know, sort of consensus companies, especially in the earlier stages, like later stage for sure, right? Like, you know, in order to be successful, companies do start to become consensus, but especially in the earlier stages of a company, like primary filter that we think about is like basically why won't other people like this? Um, and so that's maybe the fourth, you know, major point that I make about, you know, what makes Founders Fund unique. So diving into that fourth point a little bit, I think that at least for the, the tech Twitter crowd and maybe the San Francisco crowd, you know, a lot of people maybe don't like Founders Fund. A lot of people might like Founders Fund, but everybody knows Founders Fund and everybody respects Founders Fund, at least in my view. I think they may not like you guys, but I think everyone respects what you what you all have done. Um, and I think like to, to position yourself like that, you know, from founding, it kind of takes a lot of like independent thinking. Um, and I think a lot of the people involved with Founders Fund, you know, Peter Thiel, Keith Raboy, pretty much everyone um, is like independent thinkers. So I'm kind of curious, what have you learned about like independent thinking, going against the grain or just like anything in that category while spending your time at this, um, this pretty like contrarian firm? Yeah, I mean, what I'd say is I think there are ways to have a very healthy culture that encourages like discourse and dissension without like compromising on cultural cohesion. And I think Founders Fund does a phenomenal job of that. And I think sometimes, 
you know, the, the, the public image that you get on Twitter, like reflects that, right. Where like, you will, you know, probably on a somewhat regular basis, see the group of us disagreeing in public, right. Whether it's like, you know, Trey harping on me for, you know, believing that, you know, VC should be super involved in the companies that they invest in versus Trey believes the exact opposite. He thinks that they should be, you know, uh, super, you know, disengaged and that the best founders don't want their VCs, you know, getting super involved or, uh, you know, obviously the most, you know, frequent ones, you know, more recently is, you know, Keith and I disagreeing on whether to be long SF versus short SF, right? Um, and so I think, you know, have learned from them how you can still keep a, you know, culture, like even if you see us arguing on Twitter publicly, um, we're perfectly capable of then obviously, you know, working together quite closely on a very regular basis. And so it's incredible to sort of see that culture. And I think it enforces, you know, the, 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 the Twitter world shows you also the way that we like, you know, disagree about investments internally, where, you know, I think at Founders Fund, if you were to look, a lot of our best investments were relatively controversial at the time within the firm. Uh, but it's important to be able to do both openly discuss that type of controversy. Like we're the opposite of a consensus driven culture where like you need to basically get, you know, you do not need to get everybody on the line in order to have like an investment uh, be done. Um, and I think that's a, you know, great aspect of a culture. And I, you know, would only ever want to work at firms that have that type of what I call conviction driven culture as opposed to consensus driven culture. And then probably the, the third thing that I've learned the most is you know, being an independent, you know, thinker can have its, you know, faults and downsides. You know, I think, you know, my favorite sort of Paul Graham tweet is like, if you don't have an opinion that would get you like canceled on Twitter, then you, if you expressed it, you know, publicly on Twitter, then you're probably not a particularly interesting thinker. Um, and I'd say, you know, I very much include myself in that. But what I've really appreciated over the course of my time at Founders Fund is I feel like I have been taught in the way of, uh, you know, tweeting independent thoughts in a way that makes them compelling but also not so far over the line that you sort of like, you know, get canceled. And I think pre-Founders Fund, I was not sort of aware of how to, you know, delicately communicate that. Like, I think, you know, Peter's on the extreme end of this, of like, you know, you can see through all of his public talks, he's able to sometimes articulate some like, you know, ideas that are sort of difficult to swallow at first glance, but he packages them in a way that makes you understand, ah, okay. Cause like there are just many times where people will exhibit or, you know, explain a idea that is like far too radical that does have some underlying truth. But if you explain it as far too radical, you know, the sort of the Twitter system or the like public ecosphere just immediately sort of, you know, causes organ rejection uh, versus being able to package these types of independent ideas in a way that people uh, can actually appreciate, understand them and not immediately reject them. And it's fine to disagree with them, but at least they can actually sort of like see them with clear eyes as opposed to like immediate emotional anger. Um, I think it's a very powerful skill. And so I think that's another thing that um, I've been taught. And I honestly can say, you know, the probably primary teacher of that has been actually, you know, Mike Solana. Um, I think he's sort of like, you know, world-class at that. And I really enjoy the fact that we have somebody like that on our team. So one last question on that, and then I have one more than we'll, we'll call, it, call it a day. I um, almost selfishly, this is something I, sh I actually struggle with myself. I, I, I have many opinions. I voice them and met, I don't think sometimes they're palatable, actually. I think I put them out and, um, you know, in a way that I wish I wouldn't have put them out that way. <laughs> Do you have any tips for just straight up me or just other people that maybe were like you of five years ago before Founders Fund? People that like have strong opinions, they want to voice them, but they always get wrecked every time. What, what What is a tip or two that you can share with these types of people? Yeah, I mean, I think it's basically just having like a trusted group of confidants that you can like workshop these ideas with, right? Like knowing that these are people that, you know, that trust you enough that even if you were to express, let's say, in a 10-person text thread, an extremely radical idea that would get you very canceled, that they recognize that you're sort of, you know, experimenting with the idea or trying to chew on it. And it's not like a 
not set in stone in terms of your thought and like working with people, because I think it sometimes can be really hard when it sort of gets stuck in your own head, how to articulate exactly what you're feeling and how you're thinking about it. Right. And so um, I think not getting stuck in the sort of like echo chamber of your own head, but instead having people that ideally also have like diverse viewpoints. Like I think one of the things that I also like about Founders Fund is I think most people view us as like this, like super far right, like Trumpian shop. But if you were to like look at the actual like way, you know, and I haven't like perfectly analyzed this, but I, I know how various team members lean politically. Like I'd say that like Founders Fund is by far the venture firm that just represents America by default the most. Like we have plenty of people here that are like, you know, extremely left and very liberal. And we have people that are on the far right. And we have lots of people that are also in between. Um, and I think it actually like, you know, relatively accurately reflects, you know, the status of America versus I'd say most of, you know, most venture firms in Silicon Valley, mostly, you know, represent, you know, the, let's say, you know, politics of San Francisco or California, as opposed to like the politics of America. Um, and so, you know, in those text threads where I workshop those things, I have, you know, people that, you know, have a variety of different political leanings. And, you know, it definitely sometimes when I first initially put the idea into the thread, they're like, Dylan, you're fucking crazy. I'm like, okay, but like, how do I phrase this in a way like you, you appreciate that there's some truth to this. How do I like, you know, pull out the truth from this in a way that is palatable um, without getting that initial sort of emotional reaction from you? That's, that's awesome. I think that's a great tip and I appreciate it. So let's say someone's listening to this or, or many founders are listening to this and they're like, wow, this guy's awesome. Founders fund sounds dope. How can I learn more about the, the firm or the fund? How do I tell them about my space company? H how can people learn more about you or founders fund or just get in touch in general? If there's a founder listening there that like, you know, is building something awesome. Yeah. I mean, I do think, um, the like, you know, Twitter presence that we've developed is like a great way to sort of get to know us, get to know our thoughts uh, and, you know, interact with us on a regular basis. Like, you know, by far the, you know, highest likelihood way of, you know, getting across my plate is like reply to my tweets with very interesting, like, you know, thoughts, opinions that I'm like, I want to engage with, right? Like um, a lot of the founders that I end up, you know, meeting that I don't know from my pre-existing, let's say social network, like for sure, sometimes just pure cold emails like work if they're very, very well articulated. Um, but, you know, if you have like an idea that maybe, you know, wouldn't quite clear my cold email bar, another great way to clear the bar is just like have interesting thoughts on Twitter. And there are plenty of times where I'll meet somebody, hell, even today in this like thread that I was having on like, you know, climate change and space stuff, um, I sort of, you know, I think I'm not, I'm not actually 100% sure what his background is, but it seems like he's sort of like an early stage founder where like, yeah, I don't know if you would email, if you had emailed me about his like, you know, I think it's like 3D printing thing. I might not have, you know, by default, maybe like taken a meeting, but yeah, articulated some super interesting thoughts that I felt super aligned with. And I thought were, you know, well, well said. And so I was like, great, like, you know, coffee on me whenever you're in San Francisco and like, then you'll have a great opportunity to like pitch me and get to know me. I actually saw that on Twitter today and I, I we're actually connected and he's very, very, very smart. So it's good. I would say you're, you're um, good, you know, no spidey sense there. Um, so last, last point, I realized I forgot the question. It's the last one you can answer really quickly because I know we're close to time or over time. What's one thing about venture that you wish more founders knew about, but don't um, that, you know, that, that uh, would benefit them if they knew. And then, and then we'll, we'll call it a day. Yeah. I think it's just that, Every investor and every firm is incredibly unique. And so when you, you know, sort of read, you know, uh, you know, broad, um, you know, pieces of advice that people give around how to fundraise, how to interact with investors, you know, what sort of an investor is looking for, um, that it's never true for 100% of investors. And that in order to get your company funded and across the line, you only need, quote unquote, like one person to say yes. Um, and so, you know, don't, you know, don't subscribe too much to particular dogmas, whether it's like Doxen versus PDFs, whether it's, you know, meeting with founders between rounds or meeting with investors between rounds of financings versus not, 
whether it's, you know, being willing to send the deck ahead of time versus not like, you know, be careful to not subscribe too much to dogma and instead, you know, tailor, tailor, you know, your story and the way that you're interacting with an investor to the investor that you're basically like working with. And like, you'll have a lot more success if you actually sort of like get to know them and how they think and what their preferences are, as opposed to just like, you know, sort of trying to very generically um, approach everyone in the same way. Awesome. This, this was fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Matt.